G'day and welcome back to the podcast. Today is Wednesday, 29th of May, 1946. As we'll shortly hear, Betty is starting to have some fun and adventures in Nanchang. But before we head across the planet to China, let's just check in on the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald today. Of course, there's news about coal strikes. Interestingly, a front-page article from Washington, D.C. states the following. The United States Agriculture Department has announced that bakers must reduce the weight of bread rolls and loaves by 10% from Saturday. The order is designed to conserve cereals for European and Asiatic famine areas. The United Food and Agriculture Organization International Food Conference to Combat Hunger in the Next 12 Months yesterday called on the world to eat dark flour and use more of the wheat grain than at present, diluting it with other grains and potatoes by at least 5%. The conference also urged further curtailment in feeding of grains to animals. Also on today's front page... The British government, the Admiralty, has cancelled or suspended orders for three 42,000-tonne aircraft carriers. And finally, alarmingly, the new British ambassador at Washington, Lord Inverchapel, startled English cricketing circles last night when he declared, Cricket is the dullest game ever invented. I prefer baseball. Informed of this, Plum Warner said, The man is talking balderdash. Where was he educated? When the interviewer said, privately, not at public school, Warner commented tartly, well, that explains it. And the city forecast for Sydney today, fine, warmer with morning mist, cool night, light westerly winds in the early morning, freshening northerly winds during the day. Of course, it's winter time here, but it's pretty warm in China. Let's check in with Betty. Five years tomorrow since admission to practice as a solicitor. I'll have to convey that, but not in jumbo juice. Mrs. Betty Souter, UNRWA, 370 North Saochu Road, Shanghai, China, 29th of May, 1946. Written from UNRWA Regional Office, Nanchang, Changzi. Hello, everybody. Rain, rain and more rain. It has not stopped for several days and the humidity and the flies are more than trying. However, things could be worse. Living in the same premises where the office is situated, there is no trouble getting to work. The need for exercise leads me to horseback riding, even in the rain. Being unable otherwise to get out into the garden and loaf, we do more work than we might otherwise. Apparently, this weather is unusual, and the locals are expecting a terrific heat wave when all this rain is over. May they be wrong. Our river is climbing up our seawall again. It only takes a few days of rain to bring it up a foot or more, the reason being, of course, that it is fed by a colossal number of little tributaries coming down from the surrounding mountains. But there is nothing to worry about. The seawall is 10 feet high, and there is a further wall about 10 feet back, which is another 8 feet. I don't think our house is in danger. I must tell you of the launching of the new boat. Since we live on the bank of a river, 
we decided the sensible thing to do was to buy a boat. Anna was not prepared to pay for one, though it would be useful for inspection tours, so we, the staff, have combined our resources and bought one for ourselves. It is a Chinese sampan, with sail and oar. Our Western ideas have prevailed only in so far as we have seats built in, and rollocks and oars in our usual fashion. This is in case we cannot manage to row in the Chinese style, which is done in a standing position, one oarsman with two oars in front and one oarsman with one oar and a tiller aft. It looks easy enough, but I have my doubts as to our ability. The boat was duly delivered on the shoulders of a dozen wiry coolies and set down at the top of the steps on the riverbank. We handed over our $90,000, sounds an awful lot, but it's only £13.10 after all, and prepared for the launching ceremony. The choice of a name was not difficult, since there is one Chinese word used in this house far more than any others. It is Cambay, pronounced Gambay. The Australian translation of Bottoms Up caused some hesitation in declaring it an appropriate name, but the literal translation of a dry cup gave us the necessary justification. So, Gambay, it is. The honour of the christening was given to our little Chinese housekeeper, Mrs Ho, who is about four feet six inches tall and always getting lost behind the furniture. She entered into the spirit of things with much enthusiasm and with great gusto flourished the bottle of Chinese Jimbo juice, a white wine, one sip of which knocks you from here to next Christmas, as she spoke the words, I name you Gambang and wish you Godspeed and good sailing to safe harbours, and then she smashed the bottle across the prow. At the moment of the cracking of the glass, the firecrackers started to shoot, and we had a regular display. The dear little boat slipped into the murky water. As I was detailed to be the official photographer for the proceedings, I was not one of the first crew. The pioneers out into the currents and are they fast currents, which did not upset me at all. The men rowed furiously upstream for a full half hour and then found that they were about 25 yards further downstream than when they started. We will have to have a few Chinese rowing lessons, I think. Next time we go, we will sail, and then there will be no trouble. All we have to do is wait for the right wind. And so our boat is duly launched. My riding expeditions are full of interest. With the horses, army horses left here by the Japs, I find one can get into places that would ordinarily not be seen. The nags are quite accustomed to roving among paddy fields, scrambling along the narrow muddy dikes and jumping the ditches and bomb craters. So off we go to the hidden mud villages along the paddy fields and to the ruins of the once lovely modern buildings of Nanchang. There is little of the former city left, but plenty to show that it was a really progressive place. I am amazed that the Chinese city so far back in the interior had such modern factories, aerodrome, powerhouses, etc. The former aerodrome must have been an absolute masterpiece, elegant buildings, modern style, most extensive runway and grounds, and excellent quarters for the trainees and pilots. 
It seems a great pity to see it now so desolate, with the herons nesting in the shrubs and grasses that are growing along the crumbling walls, and the paddy fields that have been cultivated in the floor of the great hangar. The Japs certainly made a complete wrecking job there, and the site has been abandoned altogether as useless, even after repairs for an airstrip. I like to watch the coolies at work in the rice fields. They do work very hard and seem to move ever so slowly across their fields. Mostly they walk or crawl on their knees, doing all the toiling with their own hands. Small boys and women help in the fields too, and work just as hard as the men. Most of the farmers can borrow a water buffalo occasionally to turn up the new soil, but if there is no buffalo available, then he does the digging himself. These people are definitely the backbone of China. They are amazed, of course, to see me out on a horse amongst the fields and just stand and gape till I'm out of sight. We have grown used to being stared at now. When walking through the town, we never have less than 150 curious people in tow. The coolies in the fields have probably never seen a white woman before and they just rub their eyes in amazement and then laugh their silly heads off. Incidentally, this woman is not too white. The Atterburn has given me, in the usual way, a lovely, sickly, yellow complexion. I am endeavouring to develop a suntan to cover it up, but what can one do in weather like this? Yesterday, there was a big advancement in the community. The re-established ice factory produced its first blocks of ice since 1938 when it was laid low by the invading Japs. With pride, justified, the proprietor personally accompanied two of the said blocks of ice to Unruh House and made us a gift of same with his compliments. Yes, of course, we promptly registered as regular customers. It will be a sheer delight to have hard butter, in inverted commas, because it's tinned tropical spread, and cold beer. Needless to say, Unruh was the chief instigator in getting the factory going again. Not for reasons of personal pleasures, but as an extremely urgent measure to keep the vaccines, etc., at the hospitals. A nice little surprise for Betty Mavis in yesterday's mail, local mail. A charming little letter, friendly but not presumptuous enclosing a snap of myself from a young Chinese army pilot who travelled with us from Shanghai to Qichang on the river steamer. He went further up the river to Hanchao, where the 4th Chinese Air Force has its headquarters. He had taken the snap one day on the bridge, and I had forgotten all about it. However, he thought I would like to have it. There is no question about the nice manners and extreme courtesy and thoughtfulness of the educated Chinese people. Our house here is situated within the Methodist compound, together with several other buildings. One of the other buildings is a middle school for boys between the ages of about 9 and 16. The boys speak amazingly good English. English is a compulsory subject in all Chinese schools, and they never miss an opportunity of practising on us. The questions they ask are never-ending, even little Joan Louise could not do better. What is this? That and the other thing. Why do you do this and that? What do you call this and that, etc.? And then we turn the tables on them and ask them the Chinese words and phrases. 
I'm compelled to admit that they do much better with their English than we do with our Chinese. Well, so much for the present. I'm still longing for mail and look for it every day without much result. Please write if you have a spare moment. Postscript. Dear Dad, not much additional news for you in this one, I think, but it all adds up to the full story. Have been extra, extra busy this last week and have enjoyed it. Today I got letters, but not from home. One from Cousin Roland, one from Brigfield, one from Old Pam that Gwenda forwarded, a University Women's Union pamphlet also sent on by Gwenda, letter from Bill Taylor in Shanghai and a big surprise, one from the lady who lived in the upper flat behind North Sydney pub. She read of me in the paper. Oodles of love, bet. And the production credits for this episode, produced and narrated by Warren Henry, voice of Betty Souter by Helen Polkinghorn, and the featured tune recorded on Columbia Records. And, by the way, to get the best sound from your Columbia Records for perfect tone, you need to use Columbia Needles. There may be listeners who have no idea what I'm talking about. From the hit musical Annie Get Your Gun, I Got the Sun in the Morning, written by Irving Berlin, performed by Les Brown and his orchestra, and featuring on vocals a very young Doris Day. my th-